Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Many fans are aware of the Look and Life magazines, which came out with covers and articles about the opening of Walt Disney World in October of 1971. Because it didn't have a cover photo, few have remembered Time Magazine's offering and even less have referred to it. For me personally, it was the very first introduction to me of Walt Disney World in Florida. Its essay, map, and photos unfold little-known details and insights of what this park was like on its opening days. From hatless Dumbos to roofless mad tea parties, from contemporary hotel construction to even a Tomorrowland train station, here on the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, we're here to explore all of that, as well as relive what it was like for a 10-year-old boy studying this for the first time and dreaming about the possibilities of someday traveling to Florida. If you um, love this podcast, you definitely want to make sure you check out the post that comes with this show, and that is at disneyatplay.com. There you're going to see the map and the photos from this entire Time Magazine essay. I also will offer you what was written there on opening day. We're going to share that and tell you um, all the different insights that we can get from this article. The article was noted under Modern Living as Disney World, Pixie Dust over Florida. Quote, first there was Disneyland, an elaborate 128.5 million 70-acre playground that erupted 16 years ago in the Southern California flatlands outside Anaheim. Its stunning success spawned a host of imitators, including amusement extravaganzas called Six Flags in Dallas, St. Louis, and Atlanta. Chicagoans were given the opportunity to celebrate Christmas year-round at Santa's Village, Houstonites to take flights of fan fancy at the 100-ride Astroworld, and animal lovers to join Lion Country Safaris in Los Angeles and West Palm Beach. Let me just stop there and say, these are the major theme parks in the 16 years after Disneyland that had sprung up. I remember in particular Lion Country Safari out in California, and I actually, that was a, um, so far you actually drove through in your own car, and yeah, it was possible for a lion to just jump on top of your, the trunk of your car. Um, you definitely wanted to keep the windows rolled up. Um, it's interesting to note the 128.5 million price tag. They didn't make this number up. They clearly got this from the Disney folks at the time. And it's comparative to the number that follows. To continue, it was left to the imagination of the late Walt Disney and to the ingenuity of his staff, however, to surpass Disneyland. And last week, they did. In the swamps and scrublands of central Florida, 20 miles southwest of Orlando, a 400 million, 27,500 acre enclave called Walt Disney World was open to the public. World is right. The latest Disney Enterprise, four years in the building, includes a spotlessly clean amusement area, two enormous and elaborate hotels, with marinas and beaches, two championship-caliber golf courses, lavishly landscaped lakes, and a futuristic transportation network linking everything. So I'll stop there for a moment and say, yeah, this is the number that they got from Disney. At that point, by the way, I, re I memorized that 27500 number from that first day that I was. Now, mind you, I'm a 10-year-old kid, and just to back up on this, um, I remember the day I received this magazine. I was just laying on the carpet in my bedroom, 
doing whatever thing and and um, probably reading. And my dad walked in and threw this Time Magazine on the floor. He was a realtor and he had a subscription to Time Magazine. And he somehow noted that um, that uh, this Time Magazine had this article. Now, the crazy thing about this article, as I mentioned, look in life had a picture, the the uh, Life magazine had a picture of the entire cast of Walt Disney World. In fact, I did a podcast on that a couple of months ago and um, of everything that's noted there. That That is a very cool picture because it has the entire cast in front of Cinderella Castle. Look magazine had the audio animatronic of Mickey on the cover. This Time magazine chose to put a picture of John Connolly in kind of graphic form on the cover talking about the impact of phase two it's related to um he was secretary of treasury to uh president nixon at the time if john Connolly sounds familiar he was not only the governor of texas at one time but he was the man who sat in the car with uh john f kennedy at the time of the assassination he was shot himself and experienced injury at any rate, he ends up being on the cover because he's Secretary of Treasury at the time and there's a bunch of financial things. None of this information is important in 2021. And yet this article on page yeah, 52 of Time Magazine um, really is the thing that has survived. Um, past all of the full-page liquor and cigarette uh, advertisements, this is the one thing out of this entire magazine that has any relevance uh, today to anyone. And these numbers, by the way, going back to the numbers, um, 400 million juxtaposition to 128.5 million total invested by Disneyland at that time. That's Those are, I mean, by that time, Disneyland had had Pirates and Haunted Mansion added and a new Tomorrowland, and yet... Here we are talking about 400 million. This was an enormous amount of money during that time. Goes on to talk about the next title, subtitle is called Unisex Uniforms. Because founder Walt Disney was distressed by the sprawling, unsightly commercial ventures that sprang up around Disneyland to take advantage of the influx of tourists, the designers of Walt Disney World Actually, I'm sorry, of Disney World. He, they never referred to it as Disney. Well, they referred to it in the previous paragraph as Walt Disney World. But most of the time they talk about it as Disney World, even in the title. We're careful to guard against a similar blight. The land area is large enough to keep other entrepreneurs away from the amusement and recreational areas. Sleek throughways lead to turnpike-like toll gates. And from the 12,000 car parking lot, a space... Um, age monorail operated by youngsters in futuristic unisex jumpsuits and helmets sweep visitors off to hotels and amusement areas further so we're going to see the picture of this later on of this unisex outfit what they're really basing this big big issue in this 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 author is taken up in this is um this unisex outfit it's basically a pants outfit for women um instead of a dress i guess that was really big stuff in 1971 for their first for their first inspection visitors rely on the 80 foot high skyway gondola cars or the narrow gauge coal burning open-sided train that circles the area the crowds head for the six themed areas of the magic kingdom amusement complex Main Street USA, Adventureland, Frontierland, Liberty Square, Fantasyland, and the not-yet-open Tomorrowland. Uh, you will see pictures of the not-yet-open Tomorrowland. <laughs> um, we'll come back to that in a few minutes because it reveals some interesting things. Thus far, the most popular amusement attraction is the Mickey Mouse Review, in which an automated, air-driven Mickey Mouse leads 86 mechanical Disney characters through all the Disney hits, including the Three Caballeros and Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, and winds up with the Disney anthem, the Mickey Mouse Club song, running the review a close second. 
is the Country Bear Jamboree. 18 cleverly animated bear robots highlighted by a paunchy, off-key, gravel-voiced grizzly named Big Al that grind out country music and rural humor. Like the robots in the Mickey Mouse review, the bears are animated by the Disney-patented audio-animatronic system run by the computer tape synchronized with the music. I think this is the first time I actually heard the word audio animatronics as a 10-year-old. It wasn't until a couple of years later that I, I had my first book, The Art of Walt Disney, which goes into it in detail. But this was the first time I was introduced to, you don't call it a robot, uh, like Star Tours, you don't call, Star Wars, you don't call it a robot, you call it a droid. Here, we call it audio animatronics run by computer tape synchronized with the music. They move so realistically, in fact, the audience finds themselves actually applauding mechanical figures. Some other hits at Disney World, Cinderella Castle, a multi-turreted, multi-pennant edifice intended to look like every man's dream of fairyland and featuring King Stephen's Banquet Hall, parentheses, a roast beef dinner for $4.25. The Haunted Mansion, a Charles Adamish house. I've tried to look up Charles Adamish and whatever his house looked like for online in in Google. Uh, it, it didn't uh, didn't look anything like the Haunted Mansion. But anyway, they call it a Charles Adamish house inhabited by ear-shattering band of ghost ghouls, poltergeists, and even a singing tombstone or two. The Hall of Presidents, a super American show that opens with a 12-minute film summing up U.S. history and then presents all 36 presidents artfully duplicated and carefully robotized, parentheses, Andrew Jackson keeps whispering to Martin Van Buren as each leader is introduced. He is correct. The early um, version of Andrew Jackson has him really being fairly interruptive uh, during the roll call. A Grand Prix auto racing course where cars nip through curves and down straightaways at just 10 miles per hour. Imaginative water rides, including a jungle cruise on the Senegal Sal, a stern wheeler splash on the Admiral Joe Fowler, and a keelboat journey on the Gully Wumper. We'll see a picture of the Admiral Joe Fowler uh, uh, shortly. But it is the hotels, beaches, and other recreational facilities at Disney World that really set up the new complex apart from Disneyland and its imitators. Disney men called the creation a total destination resort, not just a stopover, in other words, but a place to spend a weekend or a week. Early guests have been staying at the Polynesian Village Hotel, built in Tahitian style along the lakeshore with 500 rooms in five so-called longhouses. The Contemporary Resort Hotel, which looks vaguely like a Mayan pyramid and features a 14-story deep lobby appropriately called the Grand Canyon Concourse, will be finished by January, and two more cavernous hotels in Persian, Thai, and Venetian styles have yet to be started. Don't know why they call it two more cavernous hotels and then they name three different hotels. That's kind of weird. The prices at Disney World seem reasonable enough. Hotels range from $22 to $40 for a room large enough for a family of four. Package plans include one that offers three days and two nights at a hotel, three free days in the amusement area, free transport, and $18 worth of sailing, riding, or other sports, all for $61.50 per person or $25 per child. On opening day, employees, by the way, yeah, hotels from $22 a night. Wow, those were the days, weren't they? On opening day, employees costumed as Mickey and good friend Donald Duck were on hand for 45 minutes of every hour to greet arrivals at the Magic Kingdom. I'll just stop there and say um, that was very painful work back then. The heads were much heavier and the work shifts were 45 minutes, which re was reduced not that many years later to 30 minutes and then ultimately reduced even further um, when 
uh, during summer months. The crowds were disappointingly, uh, I'm sorry, um, to greet arrivals of the Magic Kingdom. The crowds were disappointingly small, in part frightened off by predictions of mobs. Only about 10,000 showed up compared with the expected 30,000. First day visitors were enthusiastic. Quote, oh, it makes you want to cry, burbled Beatrice Agnew, 60. It's all so happy here, said Brad Griffiths, eight, whose family of five spent $45.99 that day. It's the best day of my life. The only untoward incident took place when a somewhat confused woman sought free admission because she told police, I am Cinderella. The Disney cops, primed for any emergency, lured her away by telling her that the police car was a pumpkin. I can only imagine what that was all about. At any rate, <clears throat> undercover, the 6,200 Disney World staffers in general are young. 5,500 are between 17 and 22, and every one of them is wholesome. Their uniforms are designed with all the come-hither appeal of cassocks. One monorail pilot was grounded briefly on opening day because her black bikini panties showed through her lime green jumpsuit. Boys must be short-haired and girls are required to keep makeup at a minimum. Good looks obviously counted when it came to hiring, largely because of that criterion. Disney rejected nine applicants for every one it hired. Once on the payroll, the kids were Disneyized at Disney World University, where rose-colored glasses are part of the curriculum. They told us after that, Pixie Doors that sort of takes over after you get into the company, reported Karen Crennel, a recent University of Florida graduate. I wasn't so enthused at first, but it's true. Disney World's impact on surroundings have been considerable. The resort's attorneys operating undercover bought their, bought their property in the early 60s for about $185 an acre. But up to $300,000 an acre has since been paid for locations close to Disney World's gates. Park economists indicate that the park's opening eventually may add $6.6 billion annually to state income including $343 million in new tax revenues, along with the new regional prosperity, however, have come some eyebrow-raising special arrangements. Florida's legislature, influenced by skillful lobbyists in 1967, passed three bills, three major bills, that made Disney World, in effect, a city-state Florida law now gives Disney interests absolute control of everything within property lines, including police and zoning powers, as well as some startling tax advantages. Eventually, more than 10,000 will be employed at Disney World once the projected hotels and an experimental community of the future are completed. Um, you familiar with the experimental community of the future? I guess that spells uh, cough. <laughs> given the way they've described it. At any rate, if Disney World encounters any real problems, they will probably center on the weather. Quote, it's different from California, where we could use that beautiful climate most of the year, says Roy Disney, Walt's brother, who is board chairman of Walt Disney Productions. During summer, for example, Central Florida is usually hot, humid, and subject to daily thunderstorms. The odds are, however, that Disney luck will prevail. Quote, the real strength of our company, says Brother Roy two years ago, has been that Walt and the staff he built always seem to be able to reach out and touch the heart of the public. End of quote. Bill Folds, too. As Walt said about it before he died five years ago, quote, it will make money, end of quote. I don't think I've ever seen in any of the quotation books on Walt Disney, it will make money. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure where Time Magazine got 
that uh, that statement from. But you can you can kind of get a sense of what mattered to them in the 1970s and what everything was like. Now, if you have a chance, you've got to follow along with me at DisneyAtPlay.com because I'm going to describe the map and photos. The map is the first one I ever saw of Walt Disney World, and it's a fairly accurate map. Um, and one of the few that really showed the entire um, property at that time or the entire developed property at that time. You have the Magic Kingdom Park represented by Cinderella Cat. Well, first of all, you have a little a corner map that shows where Walt Disney World is by a Mickey Mouse that has very small ears. Um, and then also Miami, Cape Kennedy, Orlando, and Jacksonville, not Tampa, interestingly, are labeled on the map. Um, but then the bigger map, you have Cinderella Castle just, or the Magic Kingdom really represented by um, by a Cinderella Castle icon with a statement out to say, Haunted Mansion, Mad Tea Party, Dumbo, The Flying Elephant, King Stephens, Banquet Hall, Grand Prix, Raceway, Skyway to Tomorrowland. So everything referenced in the article is referenced on the map there, including Cinderella Castle. Um, that's the Magic Kingdom theme park. But the rest of the map is is interesting. You see Seven Seas Lagoon, you see Bay Lake, you see Blackbeard's Island, which would eventually become uh, Discovery Island across from Fort Wilderness Campgrounds and the Tri-Circle D Ranch. You see little buildings for all of that already articulated there. Um, and you see paths or roads for the Fort Wilderness Campground. It's interesting which part of the campground was really detailed, which was the bottom uh, left corner of the campground. Um, the, uh, it, it's, it's curious as to what really had been developed at that point, if it was really only that portion down there. I doubt it. But at any rate, the, the, some of the most detailed uh, roads on this map are actually of Fort Wilderness, surprisingly. Um, you see a parking area, 12,000 cars, that would eventually become um, 14,000 cars, then 15,000 cars, and then before the pandemic, they were going to move that to a larger number. Not sure where they are at on that at this point. You see the, um, the main entrance, monorail, steamboat, and motor tram transportation network. So motor tram is, of course, the, um, uh, the tram uh, that most people are taking from the parking lot. But at that time, they were also running the tram up under the uh, water bridge by the Contemporary Resort and bringing you up to the top. They weren't running buses, although there is tram and bus parking. They were actually running a courtesy trams uh, during that time. You see the Contemporary Resort. You see the Polynesian Resort, iconically rendered. You see the monorail, and um, as it had been mapped out at that time, and it's listed as a monorail. You see, the, um, you see the uh, Osceola, which was a side paddler, steam wheeler. Um, there, you see references to swimming, fishing, sailing, and water skiing. Probably the most interesting thing on this map. Uh, by the way, you also see the two golf courses and a clubhouse, not a hotel, but just simply a clubhouse listed. But then you also see spaces and listings. And I think these were some of the earliest. Now, I say the earliest because the big map, the big color map that was over the beds at the Contemporary Resort Hotel, maybe the Polynesian too, um, also showed visuals of this. But you see them actually labeled here by name, the Venetian, the Asian, and the Persian are all listed. Um, and I, people had also referred to the Asian as a Thai-style um, hotel as well. There's also, on the backside of Bay Lake, a box for future hotels, which space has never been, well, I don't want to say never developed. Actually, that space was has been used over the years as um, 
uh, kind of a small neighborhood of trailers for those living technically in the Lake Buena Vista um, area. So, um, or actually in the Bay Lake um, community. So, um, at any rate, a fascinating map of what existed when the parks open. The article has a beautiful one-page view of Cinderella Castle taken from the Liberty Square Bridge. The title says, Towers and Pennants of Cinderella Castle are reflected in the waters of a Disney World artificial stream. <laughs> Photo for time by Ray Fisher. I'm a little humored that they, that they focus on the real water as an artificial stream when the entire castle is made out of fiberglass and they don't call it artificial. By the way, I learned that the word pennons is is the same as the word pennant, but only a pennant suggests a narrow um, triangular shaped flag. So if you want to know, those are pennants on top of Cinderella Castle. The next image shows um, the Mad Tea Party with um, members of the Bavarian polka band nonchalantly playing their instruments in the twirling teacups of the Mad Tea Party ride. What's two things that are interesting about this? The first is the band itself. At that time, the way the band, there was a Walt Disney World band, and what they would usually do is they would play a couple of different sets, two or three sets in the morning. Um, they would march down, they'd do something with Mickey maybe, and then um, the and even uh, perform in Town Square, which was a big thing at Disneyland. I don't know how long that lasted but I am sure they probably imitated that in the first years. But then in the early afternoon hours, they would all break into smaller groups. And one of those groups would be a polka band that would play in Fantasyland. And this is how you'd get also the Firehouse Five type band. That would be another band that would play. So depending on instruments, they would break it down to two or three different little groups. And then they would all get together and do a parade and or at least the flag ceremony at the end of the year. So here you see the Walt Disney World Band broken up. Um, there are um, seven members of the band playing in these teacups. And it's a slightly aerial view, which is taken because the second thing is there is no roof over the Mad Tea Party. They had not yet come to a conclusion that you are going to have to put a roof on this thing if you want to operate the attraction in the middle of summer. And so... So that is um, one, one of the photos. We see two cast member photos, one of a monorail operator, um, and sh she is, boy, if she isn't Miss Florida, she has got this ruby red sunburn. She's got chapped white lips. She's got a bright uh, smile, and she's got big blonde long hair I and mean, she is she she could be the poster child for the 70s only she's wearing a monorail hat and yes monorail operators actually wore a helmet back then don't know why but that was part of the costume along with the unisex outfit I'll talk about that in a few minutes the next image is um, an African-American man and I only mention that because initially you look at the photo with his white, all you see are the, his, um, the top of, very top of his shirt with white colors. It might be easy to dismiss this individual as someone who was working um, custod as a custodial host. But there, there are two little hints. One is that you get a sense that maybe he might be in Adventureland based on the very, again, it's a little fuzzy back there. And then there's something across the top of his shirt that suggests maybe this individual could have been part of the, and this is just a guess, the Adventureland Steel Drum Band, I believe started playing even before we had Caribbean Plaza. In fact, they had a little gazebo in the middle of Adventureland at one point where the band would play. and. Other videos showing the opening of Walt Disney World showed the steel drum band. So I kind of think that maybe he might have been a part of that. But all we see in this is that he's a host. That's all that they they 
they refer to him as. They don't talk about what role he played. Next image is from the Fantasyland Skyway Tower. Remember, there was a kind of winding path going up to the Skyway, and it overlooks the Skyway going toward the Tomorrowland. Going toward Tomorrowland. I say going toward Tomorrowland because you remember in when the Skyway was built, it had a turning point. So it went up and then came down and turned and came to a station where it turned and then went back up and then came back down in Tomorrowland at the station there. This is giving us a profiled view, a narrow profiled view of Fantasyland. And it's quite a different Fantasyland from what was currently in Disneyland at that time. Most of that was a Troubadour tent type scenario. But here actually, it does look, and, and they did a Troubadour, they still have a Troubadour type tent situation in Fantasyland at Walt Disney World. But here, the emphasis here is on a, is on a German style or European style building on the right, which houses Peter Pan's flight. And on the left, the um, Pinocchio Village House. In the distance, you see also an, a little alpine kind of tower. That was for what at that time was, um, I have to look up the name of that. I think that was where you would find the round table, which was Borden's ice cream little shop right there. What is Friar, the, uh, Friar Tux right now? Um, you see the Skyway buckets of red, yellow, blue, and kind of a, an offset green. Uh, it was never a bright green. It was always kind of a muted green. But, um, but the Skyway probably will bring lots of memories back to you because that um, was a very familiar sight. We're going to come back to it a couple of more times in the photos. Next, we see a bow-tied balloon vendor. Um, wearing a straw hat and selling balloons with a brightly colored striped shirt. Then we move into uh, an interior photo of Disney's Contemporary Resort. Now, um, the, the title to this photo says, Mono Train Glides Through Hotel's Grand Canyon Concourse. This reference to the Grand Canyon Concourse is especially made um, makes sense with the Mary Blair Grand Canyon mural. And you see that depicted in this photo. But you also see other elements that suggest what makes this kind of the Grand Canyon. They would take the steel poles and put um, kind of a plexiglass colored leafing on them to suggest kind of a forest at the bottom of the concourse. You see the monorail, you see um, tables, what um, I would have said was the Grand Canyon um, con um, Concourse, I think it was called the Concourse Steakhouse, but at that time it wasn't even called that. I believe this is actually the Terrace um, Buffet and the Outer Rim um, restaurant that was um, right in the heart of it. You will see tables. The tables, um, you see a lounge portion that has red colored kinds of chairs, um, but no tables. But you kind of wonder, well, maybe the tables haven't arrived yet. <laughs> or maybe this is the Outer Rim Lounge. I don't know. You see tables in the forefront with orange upholstery, and those are white linen tables. So you suggest uh, a more formal Kind of dining there and then if you look very carefully you actually see um uh signs or not signs but um um it's kind of roped off or there are markers there preventing you from moving forward to what would be mickey mount um, um uh, chef mickey's today probably was um the the terrace the cafe or the terrace buffet um, at that time. But this, again, you're going to see in another image that this hotel isn't close to being finished. And it's referenced that because they said early people were staying at the Polynesian. And then it talks about contemporary, but it doesn't talk about it being done. 
There are two Im more images of cast members. One, a ticket taker at Magic Kingdom. This young man um, wearing a polyester light blue suit with a white trim on it and a tie. Trying to look very professional because we're going to be taking your cash checks, traveler's checks. And for some of you, you may even have a credit card. But credit cards were not very common back then. And the next one is a lovely image of the hostess at King Stephen's Hall. That was Cinderella's Royal Banquet Hall before it was changed out. And she has this costume that involves, of course, you have netting in your hair when you're working in a restaurant. They chose to come up with this kind of crown-like um, hat that then was tied with a scarf underneath your neck. It does not look very accommodating, but it does look very regal for a castle. So it's kind of a cool photo. The next one is blurry because it was, and I tried several times to capture this, um, but it was in a fold. And what's interesting about this particular um, photo is that the caption says, Riverboat departs from the with Haunted Mansion behind. That's the title. And we're looking straight at the steamship. Um, this was um, named in the article as, um, as uh, and I'm drawing a blank, so I'm pulling up the, the title again, um, to the um, Admiral Joe Fowler. One was called the Richard Irvine, and the Admiral, the other was the first one was the Admiral Joe Fowler. It has twin smokestacks on it because, and this was the original one, and it looks just like the Mark Twain at Disneyland. Why they didn't use frontier-like names? Instead, this is some of the first actual attributed um, boats. Irvine and Fowler both played key roles in. The development of Walt Disney World, the ships, the Staten Island ferries are now called by that. This boat was, the Richard Irvine was added later on, and that's the single smokestack. The boat you see pictured was actually destroyed in an accident and was never um, replicated or, or um, uh, fixed up. And so this is a unique photo of the first river boat, which was the Admiral Joe Fowler which no longer exists on the rivers of America. By the way, you do not see in this photo Tom Sawyer Island, which is just as well because there is no Tom Sawyer Island at the opening of Walt Disney World. What you do see is on the left-hand side, the Haunted Mansion, as mentioned, only you see no canopy as the entrance. What you do see are this beautiful garden that was part of the garden, the hotel, the Haunted Mansion was kept up and made to look fresh and lively like the one at Disneyland in the early years. It was only after Epcot opened that they kind of allowed the Haunted Mansion to kind of take a more decayed form with kind of weeds growing up in the area. The explanation given for why they allowed that to happen um, was that international guests really didn't know, and we have a lot more international guests at Walt Disney World, were not aware of what was really inside the attraction and hopefully this more decayed look would give that impression to guess. To me, I think it was kind of a budget cut, but that's just me talking. The other thing that's interesting to note on this image is that if you look toward the right of the ship, you will actually see the Skyway. Uh, very few trees had grown up at that time and you could see the Skyway uh, chalet that was in Fantasyland. The next photo shows Fantasyland visitors riding on flying Dumbos. What's cool about this image is that this is the only image I have ever seen where Dumbo does not have a circus hat on his head. These are bald Dumbos. They're kind of cute. In fact, they almost look more like a baby Dumbo. Um, these were replicated. Not, these were changed out not long afterwards. But, um, but the original Dumbos were um, in a very different place. They were behind the castle at that time and uh, kind of 
where the um, fencing is for the Fantasyland Forest nowadays. I took a picture and put it into the post of the Tokyo Disneyland version to show how there were only 10 elephants on this, not 16 like you see today. Of course, we have two sets of spinners. And I also wanted to show the spinner design itself, which had these toy drums kind of providing the hydraulics, a kind of a circusy center um, ring to it. And then Timothy standing on a mirror ball and um, with lots of stripes on the arms of the Dumbo. Uh, um, spinner and um, so I showed that image because that's what Dumbo kind of looked like back in that day and so that gives you a better helpful image we return back to the images from the article and this is one of the coolest photos it is of the it says Mickey Mouse gives trolley ride to staffers in sampling of costumes and you really do see quite a sampling here starting from left and moving to forward left to back right you see of course the tall um, trolley car driver you see mickey you see an individual in a tri-cornered hat which obviously suggests that probably this individual the light the light colors and all suggest that probably this individual is working in liberty square maybe frontierland but i kind of reminded me of the the old tri-cornered hat shop. It's a very little small space. It's used uh, more as storage now. It's no longer uh, uh, a retail space. I wondered if that might have been the costume for retailers back in that day. The woman uh, kneeling in front is a Fantasyland Attractions hostess, as I recall. The one behind her has an unusual um, Persian style hat. It's kind of like a, a bowl kind of thing that extends outward. I rather think she worked at Disney's Polynesian Resort, but possibly, just possibly, um, she could have been working in the Adventureland veranda. The next one is a Adventureland um, costume as well, probably a retail outfit, but maybe an operations uh, style uh, issue. The young man kneeling down behind her is in big red and white stripes. Clearly he's in charge of the popcorn and standing behind him is our unisex outfit from the monorail host and uh, our hostess in this case and it's a light kind of greenish pantsuit. It's a very stylish outfit. Looks incredibly hot to wear. Well to warm in the climate. Behind her is an outfit for the Diamond Horseshoe Review. And then behind it is a Fantasyland uh, food and beverage outfit, a uh, Jungle Cruise skipper. It gets a little meshed right then. I can't, one woman and one man, or actually two men, I can't even see their outfits. One young man kneeling is clearly in a Grand Prix Raceway uh, stripes, light blue outfit. Um, behind uh, him is a young woman in what I think was a Tomorrowland Terrace, maybe a Tomorrowland Attractions uh, outfit, pantsuit again. Very stylish. It's 1971 and we're really breaking out into those pantsuits, aren't we? Uh, guided tour host in blue and white plaid behind her. And then finally our balloon seller at the end holding some balloons. It's a great image of what costumes look like in 1971. More telling is this photo that falls behind uh, this other. And it is of, I'll just read the caption, Grand Hotel Rises Behind Grand Prix Raceway. This image what catches your attention is obviously the Grand Prix Raceway in the foreground, all four lanes, which seldom has ever been used. Usually they never use more than two lanes at a given time, at least anymore, and they certainly didn't for this photo. You also see the Skyway coming, uh, the section that is heading toward the Tomorrowland Station. You see that, and of course you see the Contemporary Resort. There are no trees here. There's no Space Mountain. 
There's none of this. And so at that time, not only was the contemporary in full view and part of the Tomorrowland area, it also the monorail beam, um, both monorail beams, because there was one, of course, taking you around the Seven Seas Lagoon, but there was also another monorail beam that would shoot out toward, um, that would veer off from that beam toward the, um, the roundhouse. In the middle of this, well, in the background of this, you see a number of um, cranes still working. Clearly, the Contemporary Resort and opening week was not done, not even done to the point where you had gotten rid of your cranes. So this, this is a really important thing because USS Steel had fallen way behind, as I kind of mentioned in a previous story, um, and they clearly um, were not ready for opening like they should have been ready for opening at this time. So it was a big mess, miss at that point. The other thing that's really cool is you see this construction trailer. This is really bad show. But you see this construction trailer just behind the Grand Prix Raceway. And then you see the framework of an outdoor building. And from what I can best tell, and I put in an email to Jim Corcus. If I get a message back from him, I'll let you know. I have a feeling that this was actually the Tomorrowland um, railroad, railroad station. If you look at the big color map that was sold, and by the way, being resold right now as part of the 50th, you will see that there is a Tomorrowland station. You'll also see that the, you also know that the, the, that the map for Walt Disney World that hung behind the bedrooms, beds at the Contemporary Resort also showed a, um, well, actually, no, it did not show a railroad station. It did not. It was just the pullout map. I know what did, but that, um, it didn't show that, but the, but the map they sold in the park was, and the GAF, uh, information guide, the park map, actually showed a layout image, and it showed a um, Tomorrowland uh, station being built. Long and short, uh, there I've never seen a completed photo of this station. And of course, it's not long after that they begin construction of Space Mountain and all this goes away. So how far this train station got? It remains to be a little bit of a riddle, but originally that was the plan was to put a railroad station, which, by the way, belongs into Disneyland. There is a, a Disneyland railroad station. Um, and eventually we would have a Fantasyland station. The Frontierland station actually had not opened also by opening. That was added on and then later moved when Splash Mountain was uh, created a number of years later. The last photo shows... Uh, in the caption, Polynesian Village offers boating, bathing, fine view. I think the fine view is uh, related to the young swimmers in the foreground. Um, I think that's what they mean by the fine view. But the fine view could have been Cinderella Castle. Maybe it was both things because Cinderella Castle, because the trees had not grown up, you see a very good view of Magic Kingdom at that time from behind. And in the lake, by the way, you can see this photo has been entirely staged. My guess is that all the swimmers in this photo were Disney cast members. You see a canoe in the foreground. You see a paddle boat beyond that. You see a sailboat beyond that. You see a ski boat beyond that. And if you look way in the back, you see a bob around uh, type boat that was part of it. I Clearly, that was a posed photo that Disney created for for journalists at that time. But at any rate, it's, um, these photos give a great snapshot of what Walt Disney World looked like 50 years ago. And for me, as a little kid, I was so excited. I began to actually call travel agents at a young age and ask what it costs to actually fly. And back then, before deregulation of airlines, it was 
it was in the hundreds of dollars to get a flight to get a ticket to a Florida and uh, and driving was just too far for a young man from Arizona um, so it would be years before actually I had the opportunity to visit Walt Disney World well that does it for this Disney at play podcast we're glad you joined us and you want to stay uh, tuned because we have so much to show you. We're going to go into this Genie Plus system next week. Also, yesterday I had a chance to see Kite Tales, which if you've been listening to me, I had no interest in seeing. And I have to tell you, I was actually quite impressed. And I hope to see another show before I give my review, but any rate, we're going to cover that and lots of things going on at Walt Disney World. So stay tuned to this podcast, please. Make sure you subscribe so you are notified of upcoming shows as they come in. And also just make sure that if uh, you get a chance, check out our Wayfinder page, which is our Patreon group. Here you get other kinds of insights like this that you can enjoy and, and uh, experience as part of your contribution to making this show possible. We thank you for being part of this podcast. If you like what you see and hear, please share at um, iTunes. Give us a good rating and a review if possible. That helps build viewership and makes it possible for this show to, to successfully be heard by others. Again, thank you for being part of this podcast and show and in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage always follow the compass of your heart have a great day